How's it going everyone? This is Eric from Geeks Crossing, and I'm super excited for today's episode for two reasons. One, it has to do with Kingdom Hearts, and two, it's yet another world ranking episode. But this time, I'm not just focusing on one game, no. Instead, I'll be talking about worlds from every game I mentioned so far, and separating them into two different lists. One of them being my top 5 least favorite worlds, and the other being my top 10 favorite worlds of all time. I thought about doing this type of episode for a while, because I feel like this miniseries is in desperate need for a follow-up. Plus, Kingdom Hearts 4 is now in development, so what better way to start the hype train than by ranking the worlds again, but in a more subjective list. Even though this episode will be slightly different, the rules will be the same as before. I'll be judging each world based on their layouts, narrative, and how they impact the series as a whole. And I'm only sticking to worlds that are accessible in each respected game, so any world that appears in cutscenes, tutorials, or boss fights will not be included. I know that rule differs depending on the game, but the most consistent worlds that fit that category are the following. Dive Into the Heart, Destiny Islands, Castle Oblivion, and Quadratum. Once again, and I can't stress this enough, everything I say is just my opinion. Some worlds I featured on my least favorite list could be favorites of yours, or vice versa, which is fine. That being said, with Kingdom Hearts 4 coming out in god who knows when, it's time to resume this miniseries and talk about my least favorite worlds from the Kingdom Hearts franchise. If you went up to someone who played Kingdom Hearts 3 and asked, Hey, what was your least favorite world? I guarantee you that person will say Arendelle. If you listen to my episode where I ranked the worlds from Kingdom Hearts 3, then it's pretty obvious why it's on this list. Granted, the idea of seeing Frozen Kingdom Hearts sounded cool, no pun intended, but the execution was the biggest problem for me. First off, because Frozen is Disney's current cash cow, there were a lot of limitations Square had to work with. For example, they had to go by the story of the first movie. Okay, that's fine. Anna and Elsa weren't allowed to be party members, rip, and they had to include at least one song. Which is why we are forced to sit through Elsa singing Let It Go, and Anna singing Do You Want to Build a Snowman right the fuck out of nowhere. And in terms of story, Sora, Donald, and Goofy barely contribute to the overall narrative. Seriously, all they do is just climb and fall off that damn mountain every five minutes. And again, what was the point of featuring Hans if he has no dialogue? However, this world has some redeeming factors. Like I said before, this world excels at being an ice level, both in terms of music and areas to explore, most notably the Ice Labyrinth. Fighting Marshmallow and having him join your party afterwards was awesome, and I did enjoy the boss fight against Skull. So yeah, Arendelle may not be the worst world, but it's definitely disappointing. Next up, we have one of the worst worlds from Birth by Sleep, that being Deep Space. For the record, I love Lilo and Stitch, and the idea of making a world based off the movie's first 10 minutes does sound interesting. But again, the execution is horrendous. Some areas were annoying to navigate through, especially when you're forced to manipulate the gravity every now and then. This world is home to some of the most annoying enemies, not just in Birth by Sleep, but the entire series. The Keyblade Glider section felt tedious and unnecessary, and don't get me started on the bosses. We have Experiment 221, or Sparky, being unreasonably challenging. Same goes for Metamorphosis. I'm not kidding. That's what that giant jellyfish monstrosity is called. Then we have Gantu, who's so painfully easy it's embarrassing. And to top it off, the environment can kill you. Yes, I'm still aggravated by that. The amount of times I got killed by the fucking security system was ridiculous, even by my standards. Other than having good music, and Stitch having good chemistry between Terra, Ven, and Aqua, Deep Space is another world that I really can't stand. 
Up next, we have Wonderland. I know a lot of people love this world for its music and layout. Sadly, I'm not one of those people who support the latter. In my opinion, going through Wonderland isn't as grand as you think, because every area looks the same but at a different angle. You have to constantly backtrack to those said areas, and the boss fights in this world are horrible. Whether you find yourself wasting time finding those damn cards, or trying to keep on top of the fucking table so you can fight the Trickmaster, this world knows how to make boss fights very tedious. Actually, this corresponds with another problem I have, the platforming. As we know, Kingdom Hearts 1 is infamous for its platforming sections, and this world exemplifies that, making it more unplayable for me. And I get it, Wonderland is supposed to be confusing and frustrating to an extent. But this was going overboard, man! Which is why I consider it to be one of my least favorite worlds. Okay, these last two worlds are coming in very close to our number one spot, but ultimately, I gave second place to Monstro. This shouldn't be a surprise to anyone because Monstro was actually ranked second to last when I ranked the worlds from Kingdom Hearts 1. And can you blame me? This quote-unquote world was horrible! Granted, the idea of exploring the belly of a whale sounds like it'll make for a good level. Yet, what lies within Monstro's body are chambers that lead you to almost nowhere. You will not believe how many hours it took me just to find the fourth fucking chamber when I was a kid. Because I kept backtracking every minute or so. And it doesn't get any better when you face the boss. Whether you constantly hear Pinocchio scream, GET ME out of HERE! Or get hit by Monstro's stomach acid, the Parasite Cage is easily one of the worst boss fights. I'll admit, for as shitty as this world is, it at least has catchy music. Still, I always find myself asking this one question. How the fuck is Monstro able to survive in our space? Seriously? Am I ever going to get an answer to that? Big surprise. The number one spot goes to my least favorite world in both Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2. That being Atlantica. Oh my god. I've expressed my hatred towards this world many times on the podcast. A world that's infamous for having annoying enemies, abysmal swimming mechanics, and terrible, and I repeat, TERRIBLE BOSS FIGHTS! God, just the thought of Giant Ursula has given me a fucking migraine. And how does Kingdom Hearts 2 quote-unquote fix this world? By making it a minigame world full of nothing but singing and dancing. You can't make this shit up even if you try. The only positive things I can say about this world is the music and how the story foreshadows Ariel becoming a summon in Kingdom Hearts 3. Other than that, Atlantica sucks. Plain and simple. Or simple and clean in this case. Yeah, that joke sounded better in my head. With that said, it's time to tackle my top 10 favorite worlds from the Kingdom Hearts series. But before we get to that set list, I want to go through some honorable mentions first. And let me tell you, there's a lot of them this time around. So much so, you might even call it a top 20 list instead. Either way, I think you'll be surprised on which worlds made the cut. To start us off, we have Halloween Town. Yeah, this is definitely going to piss off a lot of people, because this world is without a doubt a fan favorite. I love the music and original story of Jack trying to give the Heartless a heart in the first game, as well as including Christmastown in Cage 2. Yet the layout of this world was annoying to explore in Cage 1, and the boss fights against Oogie Boogie were horrible, especially Oogie's Manor. Still, I can definitely see why people love this world, so I'm willing to put it as an honorable mention. Next up, Neverland. I know, a lot of people hate this world in Cage 1 because it's very misleading, considering we don't even visit the actual Neverland, but rather Captain Hook's ship. Yet, I mostly love this world as a segue to the last world, and I'm also a big fan of the world's music, fight mechanic, and boss fights against Antistore and Captain Hook. But let's be real, this world was definitely better in Birth by Sleep. Not only did we get the chance to explore the actual Neverland, but we were treated to better music as well, although the boss fights felt unreasonably challenging, especially Captain Hook and Vanitas. Still, 
I don't think Neverland is as bad as people say it is. Same goes for our next honorable mention, the 100 Acre Wood. Say what you want about this world being fucking pointless, but I love Winnie the Pooh and the bond he developed with Sora. Besides, the minigames felt like a nice change of pace from the usual gameplay, mostly the ones in Kingdom Hearts 2. We don't talk about how the world was handled in Kingdom Hearts 3. <laughs> Next up, Beast's Castle. When it comes to aesthetics, this world nails it, as it makes you feel like you're exploring a real enchanted castle, as well as providing great music. Also, I love how this world tells an original story while borrowing elements from the movie, which is something we barely see anymore. However, the boss fights are annoying to deal with, mainly Salton, who I lost to many times when I was a kid. Thankfully, Mickey was there to save my ass every now and then. <laughs> Either way, I still think it's a great world. Timeless River is next on my list, another world that I love mostly for the aesthetics. And can you blame me? A world that's completely black and white and based off the era of Steamboat Willie? How can anyone not be amazed by this? Especially teaming up with Past Pete to fight Modern Pete in a boss fight that's both epic and fucking hilarious. However, besides having annoying enemies, this world feels very underutilized. Think about it. There's so many different Mickey Mouse cartoons they could have made areas based off, yet they only chose five? Come on, Square. Who knows? Maybe we'll see this world return in a future game. Assuming they can bypass how time travel is handled. Hmm. Our next honorable mention is Enchanted Dominion. Despite being an early world, the story does a great job setting up events from past games. Most notably, how Maleficent knows about the Keyblades and the Seven Princesses of Heart. The world itself does have its perks, like providing catchy music and wide areas to explore, such as the forest, Maleficent's castle, and even Aurora's castle, which is empty despite Flora casting a sleeping spell on everybody. I know, Birth by Sleep is infamous for its hardware limitations. Sadly, I wasn't a big fan of the world's boss fights, except for maybe the first fight against Maleficent. Her dragon form and the Wheelmaster can piss off. Also, fuck that puzzle event story. Just wanted to point that out. Our next honorable mention is Kingdom of Corona. You guys know I love Tangled, and seeing it in Kingdom Hearts 3 was simply beautiful. Right down from scenery, music, epic boss fight, that being Grim Guardianess, and having a fun minigame. However, once you beat the world, Rapunzel is no longer in your party, which is fucking sad. I know, it does make sense for story reasons, but compared to Eugene, she was definitely the better party member. Our next honorable mention is Monstropolis. Visiting worlds based off Pixar movies was definitely one of the best things to come out of Kingdom Hearts 3, and the fact that Monsters Inc. was one of them made it even better. I loved going through the ins and outs of Monsters Inc., the epic music, and of course, the original story, which involves the trio helping Mike and Sully stop the Unverse from collecting fear. Yet, there's hardly any characters from the movies featured in this world. And we don't even fight Randall! Come on, Square! You could have given us at least one more Disney boss! Speaking of which, the Lump of Horror was actually a fun boss fight, which actually led to one of the best scenes in any Kingdom Hearts game. Of course, I'm talking about the scene where Sully scares and yeets Vanitas through multiple doors. That was fucking hilarious. Going back to Cage 1, we have the end of the world. Okay, technically it's the gateway to the Realm of Darkness, but let's pretend it's an actual world like the first game did. Here you get to fight some of the strongest Heartless in the game, go through past areas from other worlds via the World Terminus, an epic boss fight against Chernabog, aka Disney Satan, all leading up to the final fight against Ansem. Sadly, this world gets overshadowed by other Final World X locations, but for nostalgic sake, I'll put it as an honorable mention. Our final honorable mention goes to the heavily utilized Olympus, a world that's famous and infamous for appearing in nearly every game. Despite that, I've always been a big fan of this world and how much it improves in future games, starting off as a battle arena in KH1, 
exploring the underworld in KH2, and of course, in KH3, where we not only explore Thieves, which was very minuscule and burnt by sleep, but also Mount Olympus and the Realm of Gods too. Honestly, Olympus almost made the list for me because of how iconic it is. But at this point, I'm getting fucking sick of visiting this world. Again, I love Hercules and this world, but how much more can he milk the story of the movie? I hope in Kingdom Hearts 4, this world only appears in a cutscene and nothing else, because I think you get the point. Alright, those are all my honorable mentions. Finally, we can move on to my list. Here it is, my top 10 favorite worlds from the Kingdom Hearts franchise. Starting off my list at number 10 is the iconic Traverse Sound. This world has nostalgia written all over it. Not only was this the first world store of visits, but it's the first actual world that we, the players, can explore. Traverse Sound is a world that serves as a refuge place for those who lost their homeworlds to the Heartless. And Sora was sent there after the Heartless invaded Destiny Islands. There, he meets beloved Final Fantasy characters like Sid, Yuffie, Squall, or Leon. But more importantly, his companions, Donald and Goofy. Seeing these three team up for the first time to fight the guard armor was one of the most iconic moments in the series, as it was a great way for starting the trio's lifelong friendship. The world itself also has iconic areas to explore, such as the 1st District, the 2nd District, where you can find the 101 Dalmatians, and of course, the 3rd District, which not only provides a secret passage to Merlin's house, but also a fountain that resembles Lady and the Tramp. And I know you're lying if you say you didn't hum to the world's field or battle theme, Traverse Town is also known for being shrouded in mysteries. Seriously, we don't know who founded this town or if it's even owned by someone. However, in Dream Drop Distance, we learn from Joshua that this world has a mind of its own, because according to him, this world quote-unquote called to him when he and his friends were seeking shelter in the realm of sleep. Speaking of which, the world was vastly expanding in Triple D by including a 4th and 5th district, debatably better music, and a coliseum where you can pin your spirits against other Dream Eaters. Despite the confusion and mystery surrounding this world, it's still very iconic, and hopefully one day we'll get to visit it once more. Next up at number 9, we have Prylands. A world that everyone hates, but I seem to love. And no, it's not just because it's based off The Lion King, which is the magna opus of Disney movies. Don't at me, Frozen. But this world did a great job capturing the savannah setting very well, especially the field and battle themes, as well as the different areas from the movie, such as the Elfin Graveyard, Pride Rock, the Savannah, Wildebeest Valley, and even the Oasis. The boss fights were also pretty fun, whether it was taking on the Hyenas, Scar, or the Groundshaker in the second visit. And yes, playing as Lion Sora felt very limited, which took a heavy toll on the gameplay, but I don't think it's that bad compared to what people are laying on. Either way, I love this world, and hopefully we'll see it again in a future game, because now for nothing, I'm getting fucking sick of seeing this world looking all decayed and shit. <clears throat> Taking the number 8 spot, we have another iconic world, Twilight Town. Making its debut in Chain of Memories, this world was definitely a mystery at first. I mean, it's a world that's stuck in perpetual twilight, which is already a mystery to me. But the only context it gave us was the fact that Sora's heart remembers this world. Of course, this wouldn't be fully explained until Kingdom Hearts 2, where we got to see Roxas of Last Days in the digital version of this world. Whether it was raising money to go to the beach, competing in the struggle tournament, or trying to uncover the Seven Wonders. And while this world didn't feature any major boss fights aside from Axel, okay, I guess the Twilight Thorn counts too. Then again, you fight it within the Dives of Heart, so I'm not sure if it actually counts. Technically, you do fight Vexen and Riku Replica in Chain of Memories, as well as Giant Heartless in 358 Days End. Yeah, I'm overanalyzing things again. <laughs> My point is, this world gave Roxas more development, as this was his go-to place to question his life, and more importantly, eat a truckload of sea soul ice cream without developing type 2 diabetes. 
and it was cool how he kept revisiting this role of the sword during the main story. Pun intended, I guess. This led to Sora's independent goal in Cage 3, which was to help Roxas become his own person. Also, I had to give praise towards the music this world provides. Whether you're playing as Roxas or Sora, the field and battle themes of both Twilight Towns never failed to amaze me. Twilight Town could have easily been ranked higher if they hadn't downscaled in Cage 3. Seriously, why the fuck did they remove so many areas from Cage 2? And they didn't even bother giving us a second visit, which could have saved this world a bit. Nonetheless, I still love Twilight Town. At number 7, we have a tie between the Keyblade Graveyard and Scala at Kylum. I know, they're supposed to be two entirely different worlds. Unless you're Kingdom Hearts 3 and you decide to combine both of them, which counts in a way. Still, I'll talk about them one at a time. Starting with the Keyblade Graveyard. After briefly getting exposed to this world in Kingdom Hearts 2 Final Mix, courtesy of the Lingering Will, fans of the series finally got to explore this world in Birth by Sleep, which serves as the final battleground for all three stories. Right off the bat, you get treated to some very ominous music that doesn't change even when you engage in enemy fights, something you hardly see in any of the worlds. Leading up to the final showdown where the Wayfinder trio go up against Master Xehanort and Vanitas, and my god, was it awesome to see the first ever CGI Burp by Sleep teaser being implemented using the game's engine. Each final boss definitely gave a great sense of challenge. Whether it was fighting Master Xehanort or Terranord as Terra and Layered the Lingering Will, Vanitas as Ventus, or even Bragg and eventually Ventus Vanitas as Aqua. With help from Mickey Mouse, of course. God, Terranord and Vanitas fucked me up many times when I first played Burp by Sleep. But it was very satisfying when I finally beat them. In Kingdom Hearts 3, this world once again served as the final area where the seven Guardians of Light clashed against the 13 Seekers of Darkness, and holy fuck was it epic. First off, this world doesn't waste any time and has you fight thousands of Heartless, nobodies on first, as soon as you enter the world. Sora teaming up with each member of the Guardians to fight off the organization had some of the best parts of the game, and witnessing the returns of Terra, Shion, and Roxas made these fights even better. Hands down, the best boss fight was when you team up with Riku and Mickey to fight off Ansem, Xemnas, and Young Xehanort, at the same time. Sadly, if you recall, the Keyblade Graveyard was ranked pretty low when I ranked the worlds from KH3, simply because there's no enemies to fight aside from the Battle Gates. Without enemies, this world felt empty compared to how it's handled in Birth by Sleep. And don't even get me started on the secret bosses from both games, those of course being the Vanitas Sentiment and Dark Inferno. One of them is challenging beyond reason, and the other is so pathetic that it shouldn't be counted as a secret boss. If you play both games, then you know what I mean. But for now, Let's move on to Scala Kylum, which was originally Daybreak Town before it collapsed. This was where Sora, Donald, and Goofy had their final battle against Xehanort, and I gotta say, it was insane. Hell, they even took advantage of the game over sequence, which was fucking nuts! However, the final fight with Xehanort was the only thing you did in this world, at least for the base game. Thankfully, the Remind DLC fixed this world for the better, first by making it a fully explorable world with its own field and battle theme. Both of them sound great, by the way. Playing as each member of the Guardians to fight off the Xehanort clones, and having Mickey annihilate all of them at once. Yeah, Mickey doesn't fuck around. <laughs> and facing off against Xehanort for the final time, but with the option to play as Kyrie, That was the main highlight for me. Yeah, it's pretty obvious that the story and boss fights are what saved both worlds for me. Yet, they were so impactful to the overall narrative that I had to include them. Get ready to say deja vu, because at number 6, we have another tie. This time, it's between Space Paranoids and The Grid. The two worlds that are based off Tron and Tron Legacy, respectively. Let's start by talking about Space Paranoids. Like I mentioned before, I love techno-themed levels in video games, and this world captures the digital aesthetics perfectly, especially the music. However, I mostly love this world for how it's portrayed in the series. Unlike most Disney worlds, this one has its own unique premise, while borrowing elements from the Tron movie. In this case, 
Space Paranoids is actually a security system for Radiant Garden, which Ansem the Wise created after he copied another computer system before the events of Cage 2. And even though Tron was made out of data, Sora and the gang helped him develop a heart of his own. That was one of the most wholesome moments in the entire series. The boss fights were also good for the most part, except they did feel time-consuming, especially when fighting the Hostile Program and the MCP. And the less said about the Light Cycle minigame, the better. Nonetheless, Space Paranoid still remains as my favorite Disney World from Cage 2. As for the grid, it too did a great job at being a techno-themed level. Honestly, the music in this world might be better, but we can debate on that if you want. <laughs> in terms of story context, the grid is actually the original computer system that Ansem the Wise copied from, very interesting to say the least. Yet I did enjoy watching Sora trying to convince Rinsler to remember that he's Tron, or Riku teaming up with Sam to find the portal to bring him and his dad home. Unfortunately, I do have one major issue with the grid, and that's how it's portrayed. As we know, the Disney worlds from Dream Drop Distance are considered as sleeping worlds, meaning they're stuck in the realm of sleep. Yet, in one scene, young Xehanort said that Data can't sleep, and that they're in reality, basically. If that's the case, then how the fuck is this sleeping world to begin with? Other than that, I enjoyed everything else this world had to offer. The boss fight against Rinsler is easily one of the most emotional fights in the series, given the bond Sora and Tron developed, and Commandus, while not nearly as great as Rinsler, it was still a solid boss, though I can't deny how difficult these two can be at times. The Light Cycle minigame also received a huge upgrade as well. Sucks that only Riku was able to experience it, but it is what it is. Overall, Space Paranoids and The Grip were both great worlds in my opinion, and should get more recognition. We're now in the top 5, and to start us off, we have my favorite world from Triple D, that being Simony of Sorcery. Out of all the Disney worlds they picked for Dream Drop Distance, this one was definitely the most questionable. Especially when you realize it's based off Fantasia. You know, a Disney movie that has no actual story and set a bunch of animated sequences to correspond with a symphony orchestra? I thought it'd be impossible for it to work as a world in Kingdom Hearts. But this world proved me wrong. First off, commands and battle quotes are completely omitted in favor of music, meaning everything in this world is in the form of music, which was an excellent homage to Fantasia, and the symphonies they chose matched the areas perfectly. For Sora, they went with Pastoral, or symphony number 6. And for Riku, they chose the Nutcracker Suite. Of course, it will be a world face off Fantasia without the Sorcerer's Apprentice, which of course plays when you visit Yancet's Tower. Same goes for Night on Bolt Mountain when you fight Chernabog. Speaking of which, the boss fight against Chernabog might have been downgraded compared to KH1, but you can't deny how hilarious it was to see Riku attack his nipples. The spell again was definitely a pain in the ass fight, yet I appreciate the challenge. Honestly, the only problem I have with this world is again the same problem I have with the grid. And that's HOW the world was handled. Don't get me wrong, I like the idea of Sora and Riku helping Mickey find a sound idea to break the spell he's under. And it's implied that this world takes place in the past before Mickey becomes a Keyblade Master. But thanks to all this time travel bullshit, it's hard to figure out if this world is actually Mysterious Tower from the past, or its own separate world altogether. Because you expect me to believe that during the Heartless Invasion, Yensid just so happened to build ANOTHER tower on a piece of land that looks IDENTICAL to where the tower is built in this world? I'M SO FUCKING CONFUSED, MAN! Despite that, Symphony of Sorcery is still one of the most unique worlds we've ever gotten, and it deserves to be in the top 5. At number 4, we have arguably everyone's favorite world from Kingdom Hearts 3, Toy Box. Oh yeah, this world had to be on the list. Having Toy Story in Kingdom Hearts has been a dream for many fans, including Nomura, for years. Yet, obtaining the rights to use Pixar movies wasn't exactly easy, so much so that I started to doubt the chances of seeing a Toy Story world. But lo and behold, a Toy Story world made its way into Kingdom Hearts 3, and it was fucking insane. 
this world took the essence of Toy Story and made it work. Instead of recapping any of the movies, which is what we all assumed they would, this world actually told an original story, which involved Sora and the gang turning into toys and helping Woody and Buzz find their missing friends. Galaxy Toys, which is where majority of the world took place, provided great areas for us to explore, especially with how much detail they put into each department within the store. I remember when I played this game with Matt, we kept on laughing at all the fake toys and video games they made just for this world. Shout out to Matt. Love you, buddy. And speaking of games, the Varum Rex minigame turned out to be a lot of fun, as well as the music for this world. Seriously, that rendition of You Got a Friend to Me is fucking perfect. And the battle theme is one of my favorite tracks in general. I also enjoyed the boss fights, starting with the Gigas, where you had the option to operate those said mechs. The UFO, which I'll admit, did feel a little tedious at times. And the King of Toys, where you fight in this weird sky dimension full of giant blocks, fruit, and of course, toys. It's Kingdom Hearts, we should be used to seeing shit like this. <laughs> Even so, you can definitely tell Square had a lot of fun with this world. Sadly, it's not perfect. One gripe that I have involves not featuring a boss fight against Emperor Zerg. It doesn't have to be the same Zerg from Toy Story 2, but another Zerg toy that could have easily been corrupted by the Heartless like the other toys we fought. But that's nothing compared to how I feel about the whole copy world scenario. Because according to young Xehanort, he and the other vessels made a copy of this world, that way they could figure out how toys can have hearts of their own. How the fuck does that make any sense? You're telling me that Xehanort and his underlings copied every living property from one world and made their own version that you could visit through outer space? I'm so fucking confused, man. Nonetheless, Toy Box was an excellent world, and I'd be down to see it again in a future game. If they can somehow bypass all that convoluted shit. At third place, we have my favorite world from Kingdom Hearts 3, the Caribbean. Even though I'm not the biggest fan of the pirate movies, it was still interesting to see them incorporate a world based off that series in Kingdom Hearts 2. Of course, I'm talking about Port Royal. Sadly, that world was very awkward to say the least, mainly thanks to its choppy character models and terrible boss fights. But then we have the Caribbean, which completely shits on Port Royal in every way imaginable. Unlike Port Royal, which follows the events of the Curse of the Black Pearl, the Caribbean recaps events from At World's End. I know some people were probably upset that they skipped Dead Man's Chest, but the story actually did a good job at recapping events from that movie. That way you wouldn't feel too lost. They also made a tie-in with the overall narrative, as Luxor tried seeking the same chest Jack is after, as he believes it's the same black box that Zigbar is searching for. But most of my love for this world has to go towards the layout. Having your own pirate ship and traveling in different islands felt exhilarating, especially when you engage in combat from time to time. Speaking of which, you can also travel underwater where you're treated to much, MUCH better swimming mechanics. And I love the muffled sounds whenever you open a chest and engage in combat. Seriously, the amount of details they put in this world is insane. And none of this is even mentioning how great the characters look. Not only do they look like they came straight out of the movie, but the pirate designs for Sora, Donald, and Goofy were amazing. Unlike in Port Royal, where their cartoony slash anime designs make them stick out like sore thumbs. Funny enough, Port Royal is actually in this world, but it looks so different and polished that you wouldn't even recognize it. And yeah, it kinda sucks that they no longer have the rendition of He's a Pirate, yet the music is still phenomenal. This world also has some of the most fun boss fights throughout the series, starting with Raging Volter, who's everything that the ruler of the sky wished it would be, the Kraken, and of course, Davy Jones, who Sora fought without using his Keyblade. Honestly, that moment is both epic and fucking hilarious at the same time. Overall, everything about the Caribbean was amazing, and it deserves to be ranked this high. At second place, we have one of the most iconic worlds from the series, that being Hollow Bastion slash Radiant Garden. You guys know I'm a huge fan of this world, right down from its concept and story significance. 
A world that was once peaceful and full of life gets corrupted by the Heartless and becomes heavily altered. This world served as the perfect second to last final area in the original Kingdom Hearts, thanks to the beautiful yet ominous music and different areas to explore if you don't accidentally fall to your doom. <clears throat> this world also contains some of the most toughest and iconic boss fights, like Riku, Maleficent in her base slash dragon form, and of course, Riku Ansem, who made me rage quit many times as a kid, yet it's still one of my favorite boss fights because of the buildup. I also have to mention the secret boss you can find in the final mix version, Xemnas, or Unknown as he was called back then, definitely the hardest boss in the entire game, and he can't make me change my mind. And how can I forget about having Beast from Beauty and the Beast as your ally? Even though his answer for surviving his world's destruction is extremely vague, it was still cool to have a distant character join your party in an original world no less. Seriously, why didn't we see more of that? In Kingdom Hearts 2, we got to revisit this world from time to time, and watch it slowly revert back to its original state. The Heartless Invasion still remains as one of my favorite moments in the entire series, because you have Sora teaming up with his past Final Fantasy friends and take on over a thousand freaking Heartless and Nobodies, including a very fun yet frustrating fight against Demix. Dance, Water, dance! Come on, I had to do that. <laughs> in Bird by Sleep, we got to see this world as purest as the Wayfinder trio continue their fight against the Unverse. And just like previous games, this world is also home to major boss fights like the Trinity Armor, Brag, Vanitas, and of course, the ridiculously difficult final boss against Terra Xehanort. Regardless of what game you're playing, you can always count on Hollow Bastion slash Radiant Garden for a great time. And I'm still upset that we didn't get to explore this world again in Kingdom Hearts 3. Yeah, there's Data Greeting and Merlin's House in the Limit Cut episode, but it's not the same, come on. Despite that, you can't deny how impactful this world is to the whole series, which is why it easily earns a spot in the top 3. It all comes down to this. My favorite world from the Kingdom Hearts series is also my favorite world from Kingdom Hearts 2. That's right, it's the world that never was. Oh. My. God. Where do I even begin when talking about this world? I guess I could start by mentioning how massive this world is, including the dark city where nobody lives. God damn it, I keep saying the same joke. <laughs> and the castle that never was, which serves as Organization 13's headquarters, as well as featuring some of the best songs in the entire series. Seriously, the field and battle themes are so fucking perfect given the tone this world has. This world was the final location in Kingdom Hearts 2, as Sora and the gang fight their way to rescue Kyrie and put an end to the organization, including a very emotional yet difficult boss against Roxas. Not sure if it's my absolute favorite boss, but it's definitely top 5 material. Who knows, maybe that'll be my next Kingdom Hearts miniseries. <laughs> the other boss fights were great in their own way, like Zigbar and his sniping methods, Luxord and his card tricks, and I mean that shit literally. <laughs> and Syax with his berserk form, but no final boss has felt more epic than the long and exciting fight against Xemnas. Honestly, what's not to love about this fight? Watching Sora defy the law of gravity and slicing down buildings like it's nothing. Not to mention seeing Enriku block over a thousand fucking lasers before taking down Xemnas. God, even to this day, I get hyped from watching all this. Actually, I'm curious. Which final fight do you think is better? Final Xemnas in KH2 or Final Xehanort in KH3? Either way, they're both epic finales and I was super excited to finally explore this world again in Dream Drop Distance, where it once again serves as the final battleground for Sora and Riku, containing fun areas to explore, debatably better music, and epic boss fights, such as Xemnas, the anti-black code, Ansem, and young Xehanort, who once again made me lose my shit because of how OP his attacks were. Hmm. Even though its appearance in the realm of sleep is questionable, at least it did a great job setting up the story for the inevitable Kingdom Hearts 3. Speaking of which, 
Part of me wanted to see this world return in Cage 3, but it does make sense for why they didn't include it. Here's a fun fact though, if you hack the game and explore the world's icon, you can actually see the organization throne room within the world's model. So at least part of the world is still in the game somewhere. <laughs> Regardless, the world that never was continues to be one of the best worlds the series has to offer, both in terms of gameplay and story. No matter how many times I replay Kingdom Hearts 2 and even Triple D, this world never fails to excite me and I have no regrets ranking it as my number one favorite world in the entire series. With that said, my list has been concluded. It wasn't easy making an episode like this, I can personally tell you that, but I think I did a solid job overall. And who knows what worlds we'll see in the next saga, especially with the new direction Nomura is taking with the series. Still, whatever happens, I'll be ready for whatever worlds make their debut or possibly return for the next saga, and I'll probably be mindfucked because the series never fails to do that for me. <clears throat> anyway, if you have a list of your favorite and least favorite worlds from the Kingdom Hearts games, what would they be? Let us know on our Discord server and follow us on Instagram at Geeks Crossing. Continue to support us on all major listening platforms, whether that be Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon Music, Audible, iHeartRadio, or whatever platform you prefer. And while you're at it, check out the Geeks and I over at Twitch at Eman the Legendary, which is also my YouTube channel, Nuclear Bacons, Cryptolock Games, and of course, Carabyte. And tell your friends and family about us, especially the Kingdom Hearts fans you know. Thank you for listening, and may your heart be your guiding key.